This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we read today from one of the most sacred texts in the Old Testament. I'm talking about the book of Job. Can I urge all of you to spend some serious, prayerful time with this great text? I think it's one of the most important books in the Old Testament. Because it's the profoundest Old Testament wrestling with the most difficult of theological problems. The problem of pain. Why should God, who is all good, all powerful, allow for so much suffering in his creation? I don't know any theological problem more difficult than that one. I think I've rehearsed for you before John Stewart's, John Stuart Mill's famous argument against God's existence. He said, well, look, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-benevolent, there wouldn't be any evil. He'd know about it. He's omniscient. He could do something about it. He's omnipotent. And he'd want to do something about it. He's omnibenevolent. So if God is all three of those things, it seems there'd be no pain. Well, very few people would formulate it as pithily as John Stuart Mill, but everybody feels the power of his argument. Well, the Bible's wrestling with this takes place in a number of, of books, but no, nowhere more powerfully than in the book of Job. Now, we know the general story pretty well. To prove that God is his loyal creature, God allows the devil to inflict every kind of suffering on the poor man. Job loses in one fell swoop his home, his children, his livelihood, and his health. He's visited with every species of human suffering. What we hear in the first reading for today is his lament. Listen. Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? He is a slave who longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. I have been assigned months of misery. Now, I'd be willing to bet 
there are a lot of people listening to me right now who identify deeply with Job. Your life, many of you probably listening to me, all of us at different times to some degree feel this. Your life has become a drudgery, misery, slavery, physical pain, psychological pain, the loss of those you love, a deep loneliness, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, maybe combinations of all those things. Listen now to how evocatively Job presents his suffering. If in bed I say, when shall I arise? Then the night drags on. I'm filled with restlessness until the dawn. I don't know about you, but there's something that for me is uniquely troubling about lying awake at night, unable to sleep. You know, when you're just beset with all your struggles and difficulties and there you are trying to get to sleep, but you can't. The night drags on. Well, there's Job describing his situation. Then he flips it around. Listen to this. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. My life is like the wind. Well, it's a different metaphor, but it's getting to a similar problem. Sometimes we say, gosh, life just goes by so quickly. It's, it's over like that. It's a sigh, as the Bible says elsewhere. How many of us feel that way? The shortness of life. How everything is just inevitably swallowed up by time. You know, a lot of people, and I run into them a lot on my, uh, my YouTube videos, people that respond to me. And they'll say, ah, religion's just wish-fulfilling fantasy. Just a blithe denial of the negativity of life. Well, come on. Such people have never read the Bible, especially this book of Job. I don't know really any other text in the literature of the world that so bravely and uncompromisingly looks suffering in the eye. Job knows it. And he feels especially this, if I can put it this way, theological pain. What is God doing in the midst of all this? Why doesn't God act? Now, the church this weekend juxtaposes that reading from Job with our gospel story. From the beginning of Mark's gospel, the first chapter, and we hear that a whole army of Job's comes to Jesus. Listen. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were ill or possessed by demons. He cured many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. There's a wonderful icon that I've seen. It's from the Eastern Church that depicts this scene. It just is very vividly in my mind as I read this. It shows a veritable rogues gallery of the halt, the lame, the blind, the mentally ill, the crippled, all coming to Christ. There's Jesus in the middle, and he's just surrounded by suffering humanity, all coming at him. Same problem. In the midst of life suffering, what is God doing? What does God have to say? How does God relate to it? Well, now, what's the answer that we get, both in Job and the Gospel? Well, in the book of Job, beginning with chapter 38, God speaks. Job calls him out. He says, Lord, I've, I've got this terrible suffering. 
I don't understand what you're doing. Explain yourself to me. God, God is called, as it were, into the dock by Job. God speaks out of the whirlwind, as we know. It takes Job on a tour of the cosmos in all of its mystery and complexity and says over and over again, were you there? Job, were you there when I commanded the dawn? Job, were you there when I stored up the winds and when I, when I commanded the sea? Job, were you there when I created the heavens and the earth? God shows Job how little he understands of God's overall design and purpose. He reminds Job that his suffering is a tiny ingredient in a plan that includes the whole of space and the whole of time. Think of a long, stem-winding, complicated novel. Say one of Dickens' stories or Tolstoy's. Now imagine you found one paragraph on one page of that story. Let's say someone had ripped the page out, the page had blown away and had been further ripped, and, and you happen to pick up one paragraph on one page of that story. Perhaps it's a dull bit of narrative. Perhaps the paragraph you read is achingly sad. Perhaps the paragraph you read is filled with violence and hatred. But it's all you've got. It's all you read of the story. Would it be right for you to say, this story makes no sense? Or this, this part of the story has no purpose? Wouldn't it be much more correct to say, I don't know how this dull or dark or violent snippet fits into the overarching design of the entire book. Wouldn't that, in fact, be the right answer? And so the book of Job is saying to us, think of all of space and all of time. The whole of God's creation is like a great book, like a great unfolding story. What do we experience of it here and now? Well, we experience one half of one paragraph of one page of that many thousand page novel. In other words, we are not in a position to say this story has no meaning. This suffering I'm going through has no purpose. We don't know until we come to God's own perspective. Okay. So far, so good. You've probably heard versions of that argument before. Any reader of the Old Testament would have heard that argument from the book of Job. But still, may I say, there's something that gnaws at us. Are we still, at some level, having heard the book of Job and, and having taken it in and realizing how right and good it is, aren't we still, to some degree, unsatisfied? If we are... Turn to this episode from the ministry of Jesus. All those people coming to Christ. Now, why do they come to him? Because they've seen what we saw last week, that he speaks and acts with the very authority of God. Somehow they sense all these suffering people that in Jesus is the very power of God. And so they come to him the same way Job came to God, asking, wondering, demanding, and Jesus reaches out to them, and he heals them. Hear now 
God made flesh does not simply say, trust in me that I've got a plan. It's as though Jesus senses this will never be enough. Instead, listen now, he allows his divine power to flow out from him for the healing of those who come to him. God didn't take away Job's suffering in the Old Testament. He tried to put it within a wider context. But now, now, Yahweh made flesh. Jesus himself allows the divine power to flow through him. He becomes a healer of the suffering of the world. Okay, you say, yeah, I see that. But still a puzzle remains. How come he didn't heal everybody? Yes, he cures some blind people, but not all blind people. Blindness doesn't come to an end with Jesus. Yes, he cures some of the deaf. How come not all of them? Yes, he cures some leprous. How come he doesn't just eliminate leprosy? Yes, he raises Lazarus from the dead. How come he doesn't raise everybody from the dead? There's still a kind of nagging and gnawing question, isn't there? What else do we see now in the story of Jesus? We do see healings, yes, as though he's allowing to appear in time even now what he intends for everyone at the end of time. But we get something more. We get God's own solidarity with us who suffer. He doesn't simply say from a distance, trust me, I've got a plan. But rather, Jesus came, and now this applies to everybody, not just to a few. Jesus came to take on the agony of the human race. Entering into our suffering, our agony, our pain, our depression, our anxiety, all that bedevils us. All of it coming to its full expression precisely on the cross. Jesus takes on the sin of the world. Yes, indeed, that's a big part of our suffering. And he takes on all of our psychological pain, all of our physical pain. He enters into it with us and shows his solidarity with us. Yes, the lesson of Job remains. Trust in me. There is a great plan. But now we've got more. In Jesus, we have a showing forth even now of God's healing power, and more profoundly even, we find God's own solidarity with us in friendship in our suffering. I think, friends, with all these insights gathered from Job and from the gospel, we have a tremendously powerful biblical response to this great problem of human suffering. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. 